2 Peter chapter 1, and also find 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read in 2 Peter chapter 1, and then if you'll find 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and mark that, we'll go over there here in just a little bit. God sure has been good to us. Nobody can deny that, man, I am telling you. We're going to continue on in our Wednesday night series, uh, Becoming More Like Christ, uh, the Doctrine of Sanctification. Second Peter chapter 1, and verse number 1, the Bible says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins." Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do, if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. I title the message for tonight: You can't do what you don't know. That's just a very simple truth, isn't it? You can't do what you don't know. Let's pray. We'll go. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we're very thankful for your mercy and your grace and your love and your care and for your precious spirit that you give us when we're saved by your grace and then for the word of God that's been preserved over all these years that we might have it in our hands tonight. And Lord, we pray that you'd use your word tonight by your spirit, that the spirit would illuminate the word and the truths that we're going to look at. And Lord, that it would be uh, something that we would apply to our own life, uh, that you would... uh, really, that you would really emphasize the importance of it, and that uh, because of what we hear tonight, and our willingness to respond, and just to yield, uh, that our lives will continue to grow closer to you. Thank you, Lord, for this group that's assembled tonight, and those even that watching by live stream. I pray your will would be done in our lives tonight, and we'll thank you for what you do, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing. Please do be seated. Just a little bit of review from where we started at in all of this. Uh, the Christian life, I said, was compared to a journey. And it has a definite beginning, that is salvation. And it commences when we obtain a like precious faith in Jesus our Savior, as we read in the Scriptures. And it has a sure and definite destination, and that's glorification, which is alluded to in verse number 3, the, believer, the believer's call to glory. And it consists of two parallel paths, as been said in, in prior messages. 
uh, sanctification. That's our growth toward Christ-likeness in all things, every part of our life, allowing God to mold us into the image of His Son. And then evangelism, that we're spreading the gospel. We were saved by the grace of God that we might be left here to tell others about the grace of God. And we need to be doing that. That is a huge part of what God has for our lives. And that's all of us. In some way, shape, or form, we should be getting the gospel to those people that are around us. And in this series, we're focusing on sanctification, of course. And part of God's plan for our journey along this path is outlined in verses 5 through 7, where we've been looking for some time now, really, where God tells us that we are to add or we are to build onto our initial faith in Christ. And the first thing that we're supposed to add or that we need to add is virtue. And we're not instructed to add virtues, plural, but virtue. Uh, God has not merely called us to to pursue good character, but to become Christ-like. Now, I'm just letting that soak in for a minute. It's good to have good character. No, no, it's good to be a good person. Have good moral character, those things. It's good to have good character, but God wants more than that from us. He wants us to be Christ-like, and there is a definite difference in that, as we well know. Uh, So to add virtue to our lives is to maintain a willingness to please God. If you're not willing to please God, you get saved by the grace of God, but you won't make the decision, I want to do all things to please God, you're not going to go any further in your Christian life. And as we look further into sanctification, the sanctification, the separation that God really expects us to practice as uh, children of God, if, you're, if you don't have virtue, if you will not add to your faith virtue, if you do not have a willingness to please God, it's not going to get any easier from here. Because to become more Christ-like, we have to die to self. To become more Christ-like, we have to put our flesh to death, if you will. So, if we're going to be more Christ-like, then we have to aim to love what Jesus loves, and we have to seek what Jesus sought, and we have to do what Jesus did. It's part of being Christ-like. So, say that we have, uh, when we have, uh, when we have taken the step of virtue, the next step is knowledge, and add to virtue knowledge. Now, after we have made the commitment to please God and become more Christ-like. And and I I just can't seem to get away from that. After we have made the commitment to virtue, to please God, to be more Christ-like, because if we're not committed to that, now I'm saying if if we have not gotten down and, and, and talked to the Lord and committed Lord, I want my life to please you. I want you to help me to do those things that please you. I need your grace. Just like I needed your grace to save me, I need your grace to change me. I need your grace to help me. I want to commit to be what you would have me to be. And until we have really made that commitment... And we're not just picking and choosing what we want to do with our Christian life. It's going to be hard to move forward. 
Oh, boy. I, I want to stick by my outline. <clears throat> I, I really, I really, I love going to camp. I love going to camp because it gets us out of the world for a time. And I have said for the longest of time, I, I believe we need, I believe we need parent camp. <laughs> but that's what family camp's all about. Get the whole family there. Get the family out of the world. Get the family away from television and, and, and uh, uh, cell phones and computers and all of that stuff. Hallelujah. And let God work on us for a time. And time after time of going to youth camp over the years and preaching youth camps over the years, you see the kids come out of the world and Monday they're pretty hard and Tuesday you kind of may see something. Wednesday, by Wednesday they're getting a little soft. By Thursday God's moving and things begin to happen and commitments start getting made. By Friday everybody's broken. There's tears everywhere. People are getting saved. People are committing. People are surrendering to be in the ministry and all these different things. And they get down and they make these commitments. And the biggest part of them, I have to believe, after them listening to the preaching and, and God working in their hearts, the biggest part of those commitments, I have to believe, are made uh, uh, honestly and earnestly. Lord, I want to please you, and I want to live my life for you, and I, I, I want to do what you would have me to do. But if we're not careful, the world grabs our attention as soon as we get out of camp, and it doesn't take a couple of weeks, even that long, before we're back to the same old thing. Now, think about this. So, we're not at camp every week or every other week or every other month or anything, are we? No, we're out in the nasty now and now every day, aren't we? Come on, and we're surrounded. I'm getting ahead of myself in this message. But we're surrounded by all types of things that pump knowledge into our head. Uh, not good knowledge. And it's those things that cater to our flesh or that attract our flesh. And so before long, even if we have made the commitment, Lord, I want to please you. Before long, if we're not careful, our thinking is messed up. And pretty soon we're just thinking about pleasing self and doing what we want to do. And the commitments that we have made, well, they're no longer as important as they were when we were in our prayer closet. No, no, and earnestly making that commitment, Lord, I want you to help me. I need your grace. I, I, I want to please you. And come on, I, I, believe that, I believe that there's people sitting in this auditorium. That's exactly what you want. I know that's what I want. I want to please God. I want God to use my life the way that he wants to use my life while I am here on earth. If he'll give me a few more years, that's exactly what I want. And I believe with all my heart, that's what you want. But sometimes you have to make that commitment again and again, don't you? Come on, I'm telling you, if our young people would come home and when they begin to see themselves slide away, when they begin to backslide, when they begin to get away from God, if they would just come down to an altar and humble themselves again and not worry about what the rest of the youth group thinks and just make that commitment once again, Lord, I want to serve you and I want to live my life for you. And they may have to do it week after week for a while. But we as adults may have to also. So we have to have that commitment, that, that virtue, I want to please God. <clears throat> and then we begin to gain knowledge. We need knowledge of what God would have us to do. 
knowledge, that word itself, it refers to a large assortment of facts. I mean, I'm just talking about regular knowledge now. Get with me. It refers to a large assortment of facts and information and, and skills that we acquire through instruction or experience, either one. And knowledge then has to do with the mind. Somebody say amen. You, you agree, right? I mean, knowledge has to do with the mind. All the information that's stored in our brain, in our memory, that forms the basis of every belief and behavior that is demonstrated in our lives. Everything. Everything like what, preacher? Well, like your mood. Your mood. Let's say you walk outside and your brain processes uh, the, uh, the information that it's raining. And that fact makes some people happy. And that fact makes other people sad. And some people may be totally indifferent to it. But whatever our response to that, it begins in our mind. In our mind. Or our priorities. Your work day begins at a specific hour. So your boss is a stickler for punctuality. And if you really care about your job and maintaining a good relationship with your superiors there at work, then being on time for work will likely be a priority in your thinking. I need to be on time for work. Come on, I'm laying some groundwork here. I need to be on time for work. And then just daily decisions from how you spend your money to how you spend your time and what you'll do on that day or what you think you never would ever do. I mean, these things going on, every action begins with a thought. Every action is the result of a decision of the mind, a fact which we acknowledge every time that we say, you know, I've made up my mind, and then we go to do something. Really, the human mind is one of the most amazing, amazing creations in the universe. Modern science estimates that your brain consists of over 100 billion brain cells. I've got two left. <laughs> I'm glad when both of them kick in. It really helps me a lot. <laughs> Sorry. These cells... 100 billion, they react with a lot of different chemicals in your nervous system. And, and the, re, the reactions represent a, a virtually limitless number of interconnections and mental processes that take place continually and simul, simultaneously in your brain. Science estimates the number of possible variations of thoughts, get this, Possible variations of thoughts in the average brain would equal more than 10 plus 801 zeros. I mean, that, that's, that's a number that's way too large to even begin to comprehend. 10 with 801 zeros under. So to put that in perspective, scientists estimate, estimate that the number of atoms one of the very smallest building blocks of creation that we know about, the number of atoms in our own universe, the sum total of all those building blocks, equals approximately 10 plus 34 zeros. Just 34 zeros. 
What's the point about that? Well, the point about that is the brain potential of the average person exceeds the number of atomic units in our universe. Okay, so I started out the whole sentence, Brother John, with the brain is an amazing thing. And there's no doubt about it. I mean, truly. Come on. I mean, God put this thing in our head and we should use it. The brain. Is it any wonder at all that God promotes the addition of knowledge to our faith? I mean, that that he puts it in such a place of importance in our life? Knowledge to our faith. The content of our thoughts determines the character and the conduct of our lives. The content of our thoughts determines the character and the conduct of our lives. Now, this too. Listen. Should it surprise us to learn that our minds are the valued battleground for which the devil has fought in his battle for our souls of men since the dawn of creation? He's after our minds. And he's doing a pretty good job. He's done a pretty good job. He's done it since the beginning of man. Let me read this to you over in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any other beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye eat, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So, I mean, the first thing he did was um, deal with her mind and her decision-making process. The devil, he's described as subtle there where I just read. That means cunning, crafty. It's usually used in a bad sense, deceptive, very misleading. In hiding his true motives, he challenged the knowledge that Adam and Eve had been given concerning the trees of Eden. No, they'd been told, don't eat of that tree. And, and, And so he challenged that knowledge. They had that knowledge in their brain. Don't eat of that tree. You can have anything in here. It's all yours. But don't touch the tree, God says, it's mine. They had that knowledge. But he challenged that knowledge that was there. Um, His design in that, what was his design in that? Well, to get Eve to think differently concerning the tree. And if he could get her to think differently concerning the tree, now God knows that if you eat of that tree, that you're going to know the difference between good and evil, and you'll be like God's. Come on, that's what he fed into her mind. And and he got her to think differently concerning, and so she, uh, so to choose differently concerning the fruit of the tree. 
And here's the whole thing. The devil knew that if he could change Eve's mind, he could control her actions. If I can change her mind, I'll be able to control her actions. Again, the content of our thoughts determines the character and the conduct of our lives. Change your mind, change your life. So let's talk about the battle of the mind a little bit. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10. And look at verse number 3. 2 Corinthians 10 verse number 3. The Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So, let's think about the terms of engagement here. He talks about imaginations, casting down imaginations. Um, Arguments, reasonings, humanistic philosophies, all these different things. Over in the book of Colossians, in chapter number 2 and verse number 8, the Bible says this, Beware lest any man spoil you. And that, thing, that, that word, that, that term there, spoil you, means to take you captive. Beware lest any man spoil you or take you cap captive through philosophy and vain deceit. What the Bible says. No, God says this. Beware lest any man spoil you, take you captive through philosophy and vain deceit. I know you understand where I'm going here. The world presents arguments meant to sound reasonable and persuasive to the human mind. I mean, no, no, no. It, it, okay. They are meant to make us imagine something different than that which we might have previously thought or believed. Things we have learned. And he talks here in verse number 5 about high things. Casting down imaginations and every high thing. Um, elevated opinions or uh, estimations. Uh, we'd have to think this way of egotistical and boastful and conceited uh, uh, vain judgments uh, uh, that men hold of themselves and, and, and exalting themselves and their opinions above the knowledge of God. <clears throat> uh, you know, men like Darwin. Come on, that, that I mean, had such influence... And, and lifted up himself, had an elevated opinion. I know how all this happened. I mean, the Bible is just ridiculous. Uh, there was years ago that we had this big bang, and then we came from monkeys, all these different things. I mean, that, that, they, that he, 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 he lifted himself up, and he echoed it so loud, and he exalted himself and his opinion above the knowledge of God to the point where the biggest part of the people in the United States of America today, I'd have to say, uh, believe the theory of evolution. 
And if we're not careful, look up here, please. If we're not careful, that kind of stuff will creep into our own mind, into our own house, into our kids' minds, because that's the way the devil has it planned. And again, he's worked pretty hard and fairly good at it. One Bible commentator describes these two terms as all the plausible clevernesses of human wisdom and human pride. Human wisdom and human pride. Now, with that thought, listen to Romans chapter 1 and verse 21 and 22. Listen to this. Because when they knew God, they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. So, here we are. We're born again believers. You've been saved by the grace of God? Raise your hand. Born again believers. Here we are. We have the Bible. The, The very Word of God right here in this old King James Bible. We have it. The knowledge of God. It's right here. No, no, no. This, this is everything that we need to make it through this life. This book right here. Come on. God made sure that we had everything we need, Brother John. You know that. Everything that we need right here in this book. The knowledge of God. It's right here. We have it. We have it. Factual knowledge. No, no. This is truth that originates with God. That's the knowledge that we need to be living by. Not the philosophies of this world, not vain deceits, factual knowledge. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We're talking about sanctification. We're to be sanctified or set apart according to this knowledge, according to what God has given us. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7 says, let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. He goes on, for my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. So we're to be sanctified through the truth, and we're to forsake our own way and and our thoughts that men might feed us and take in what God has. The knowledge of God. James chapter 3, verse 14. Listen. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So we need to be filling our minds with the knowledge of God, God's knowledge. Um, and then, of course, we have a, a practical knowledge. That's our personal relationship with God. It, it's what we know of Him through our own experience of Him. 
I don't know about you, but since I have been saved, God has dealt with me at different times. No, dealt personally with, with me at different times. And it wasn't in a group setting or anything. It's just me and God somewhere and God dealt with me. I mean, no, no, he's alive. He's well. He's very well able to speak to us, isn't he? Absolutely so. And we need to have that personal knowledge also. No, no, we need this knowledge. But this knowledge will lead us to that personal knowledge. Because the more we know of this, the closer we are to him. And the closer we are to him, the more we understand how he operates. And the more we understand how he operates, then we understand how the Holy Spirit of God can definitely speak to us and guide us along the way and keep us from making bad decisions and keep us from erring in the way. I mean, he is there when we are close to him. In Psalm 23, King David, or David at that time, knew him as the shepherd of his soul. A soul. And the Apostle Paul stated, uh, stated that that uh, his ambition in life, the Apostle Paul's ambition in life, uh, found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he said, that I may know him, that I may know him, not about him, but him. And Jesus said that knowing God is the essence of our salvation. John 17, verse 3, and this is this life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And, and then it talks about there in 2 Corinthians 10, it talks about thoughts. Thoughts. Casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So our thought would be our state of mind, our present opinion. It's that which is occupying our mind even now. And we have many thoughts, we have many ideas, opinions, arguments, and, and even fears, really as we attempt to decide what we're going to believe or what we're going to do concerning some matter. And eventually all of our thoughts come together into a single thought. What do you mean, preacher? A conclusion. Come on, we're trying to think something out, reason things out by the knowledge that's in our head. And we come to a conclusion. We come to a persuasion. We, we come to a conviction out of the Word of God. This is what the Word of God says. I'm convicted of this. I'll never believe it a different way than what God has shown me right here. I have this Bible conviction in my life. That which will become the deciding factor in every other choice we'll make. The knowledge of God becomes very real. And it is the thought that is the ultimate prize in the battle for the mind. On one hand, we have the imaginations. All the plausible cleverness of human wisdom. And aligned with those imaginations are high things. Talks about that. Prideful persuasions in which we place confidence in ourselves. Listen. In which we place confidence in ourselves and our abilities and our flesh. And on the opposite end of all of that is the knowledge of God. It is the truth as it is revealed to us in the infallible word of God. 
And what we need to understand as born-again believers that are still in the flesh is that these are pitted against uh, one against the other until we form an opinion, until we reach a conclusion, until we come to a place of a mental assent to one side or the other. We do our best to train our children in what the, the Word of God says. And we feed them the Word of God. And the principles are the Word of God. And we try to train them up that way. And we try to get that into their mind. Because there's going to be a lot of other things that come into their mind. And there's going to come a day, whether we like it or not, as our children grow older, that there will be a battle in their own mind of what am I going to believe and what am I not going to believe. It will happen. It does happen. And if we're not careful, even as adults, and we have not built convictions upon this Bible, it can happen to us. And before long, we're going contrary to what God has to say, or what the knowledge of God is. Let me give you a few examples. And I touched it briefly, but creation versus evolution. So what does God say? Well, we believe that the world was created in six literal days. And everything, and... and, Mm. And then, okay, and then the definition of marriage. What does God say about that? Then everything outside of that is wrong. What God says is right and how he meant for it to be is the way that it is supposed to be. That's one man and one woman united. Absolutely. And then there's this one. That is just as much a strong Bible truth. There's this one. To whom do our lives belong? No, we're talking about born again believers, right? Purchased with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So to whom do our bodies, our lives belong? Is it my life? Is it my body? It's my body. I'll do what I wish. Or does it belong to God? And should it only be used in accordance to His will? Okay, I'm going to stop here for just a minute because it got really quiet. If you are a born again child of God, you belong to the Lord. No, all of you belongs to the Lord. Every part, you belong to Him. We're to yield to Him in everything He wants us to do. It's my body, I'll do whatever I want to with it. No, it's not your body if you have been bought with a price. It is not your body, it's not your life if you have trusted Christ as your Savior. It's no longer yours. Well, I don't know if I like that. Yeah, it's your human side. No, 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 no. That's part of the information that has flooded into your brain somewhere that says it's your life and you ought to be able to live it the way you want to. Come on, you can't tell me that isn't everywhere today. And even our own human nature. Our lives belong to Him. And our lives should be used in accordance to His will. 
Or we could get down to a place that, 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 that's irritating to some people. Uh, it, it, we just mentioned very quickly about tithing. About giving a tenth of everything that comes through your hands to God because it belongs to God. And people say, well, I can't afford to tithe. And God says, you can afford not to tithe. That's what God says. Sure. So, no, no. Who do you believe? In all of these things, who do you believe? Come on, it's coming down to this. this, this I, you know, I could have probably said it in a lot more simple manner than I have up to this point. But really, this is it. We're to add to our faith virtue and the virtue knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of this book. And what God says and how we're supposed to live and what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. Right here. And, and so, no, 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 listen to me, please. So we have to make the decision. We have to come to the conviction that this is really God's word and he really is alive and he really does expect that we would live by every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And we're either doing that, are you with me still here? We're either subject to that or we're not. We've either decided I'm going, to really, I'm going to really submit myself and commit myself and do the best I can, preacher. I, I am, and, and I struggle in some areas. I understand that. And, and some are harder than others, and I understand that. Uh, but I'm telling you, we make this commitment that, that we are going to soak this up in our mind and everything else that tries to get in there, we compare it with this and make sure that we are following this uh, than any, uh, more than any other thing. <clears throat> and, and there's a reason for these battles. Come on, stick with me. There's a reason for these battles. What we're reading there in 2 Corinthians 10, it says, For though, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The reason for this battle, please, please stay with me. The reason for this battle is strongholds. What is that, preacher? Basically, it's a, a stronghold is a, it's a mental fortress that's established in the mind that exists in opposition to the truth of God. Well, I just believe like this. Well, you need to allow God's word to change your thinking. No, 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 because if you're going, no, no, if you're living contrary to what God says you should live, there's a stronghold there. <clears throat> and the foundation the foundation of a stronghold is the misrepresentation or denial of the truth. Well, I believe this way. Well, but here's what the Word of God says. Well, I don't, but I, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, but I don't believe that way. Well, then you're wrong. Come, come on, I'm not trying to be ugly or funny or anything whatsoever. I'm telling you, either we believe the Bible is the Word of God or we don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. We believe we have the knowledge of God or we don't believe we have the knowledge of God. And God says, you ought to be doing this. And we think, well, no, that's not, that's just, just not for me. Oh, no, no, no. If God says that's the way it's supposed to be, that's the way it's supposed to be. Exactly so. Yeah, come on, we're talking about sanctification here. 
I said when I started this whole series, it wasn't going to be a real popular thing. That I mean, this is pretty much just a lost, it's absolutely just a lost doctrine in our churches today. Nobody wants to talk about real sanctification. Come on. Nobody wants to talk about deep sanctification, about separation from, from the way the world thinks and the way the world lives and the way the world views things according, uh, in, in, in opposition to what God has to say about things. Nobody wants to. We become, we have to be careful because we become convinced that something is other than what God says it is. And, and, and I'm telling you, you'll, you'll get things like, people, this, people get to believing like this, that just God doesn't exist. Well, there just isn't any God. Or God can't be trusted. I can't trust God. I, what God says to do this, well, I can't do that. How can I do that? Well, you need to trust God. God can't be trusted. Or God doesn't care what happens to me. God doesn't care what happens to me. No, no, no. These are things contrary to what the Word of God says. God, God can't really control the circumstances of my life. And God doesn't really know how to make me happy. And God has no right to tell me what to do with my body or how I'm supposed to live my life. No, no, no. I'm telling you, you go around and you ask some questions and you talk to people and you're going to hear these things. You don't believe that? You go down to the campus when they, when, when they start back up down here and you try to talk to some of those students that are coming in or really those that have been there about three years that have been so pumped full of knowledge that shouldn't be in their brain. And I'm, I'm telling you, you'll hear all types of things just that, well, there's not even a God and you can't trust God. And he just, you know, he's okay, if there even is one, he started the world spinning, but he don't care what's going on down here, whatever the case may be. But one of the big things you'll hear is God can't tell you. He has no right to tell me how to run my life, live my life. But hold it. No, no, no. And tonight we're talking to a room full of professing believers. So have we let a little bit of that creep into our own mind, into our own life? I'm going to do what I want to do. The walls of a stronghold are strengthened, please, please stay with me. The walls of a stronghold are strengthened by imaginations and high things. Talks about that. Imaginations and high things. Like, like what, preacher? False interpretations of the Bible, worldly influences and worldly philosophies, fears. Fear's a big one. Man, devil loves to use that. Fears, and also the pleasure of sin. Even the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. And strongholds will affect our lives physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually. Because wrong thinking keeps people in bondage to sin and to self and to Satan. Wrong thinking will keep us from yielding to God and becoming like Jesus Christ. Wrong thinking. It keeps us from yielding to God. It keeps us from being everything that God would have us to be.
And strongholds may be built in the mind, but they're not going to be overcome apart from the spiritual weapons which God has given us with which we have to which, which with which we are to fight them. So here's our response to the battle. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You should underline that in your Bible. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So we have to be completely yielded to Christ. Because I can guarantee you this. Come on, I'm getting close to the end. I can guarantee you this. To the, to the degree that the devil controls our thinking, he controls our lives. No, no, we, we can come to church. We can read our Bible every day. We can be here. We can work in some ministries around the church, all those things. And that area that we're not yielded, that area that we take on the that, that we believe the we believe a lie instead of the truth. We're still under uh, the devil's control. To the degree that God controls our thinking by by believing and applying His word, He's able to set us free. To make us free from Satan's lies and transform us into the image of his son. Now, someone might be thinking, I don't know if I believe all this or not. Well, hold on. We're going to close right here, but I've got a good illustration for it. Every January, we get a lesson on how information can mold our lives and influence our actions. Every January. What are you talking about, preacher? <clears throat> this past January, sponsors paid $5.6 million for a 30-second commercial during the Super Bowl to push their product. $5.6 million for 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Why did they do that? Because they knew that millions of people around the world would be tuned in. And they knew that they would have the opportunity to persuade these people that are tuned in to embrace their cause or to buy their car or to eat their chips or to drink their beverages. No, no knowledge can have a big influence on our life. To the point that corporations are willing to pay $5.6 million for 30 seconds. I think I could preach a message in 30 seconds if they would. Okay, nobody has a sense of humor tonight whatsoever. 
Look, we must not be so naive to think that there are not larger and more costly battles being waged in our culture to capture our minds and to conform our lives to this world that lasts a lot more than 30 seconds. This information, this knowledge that's going into our head, whether from a smartphone, a computer, a stereo, a television set, a movie DVD, It is, it is the reality of this battle. It's such a battle. And it's the reality of this battle that makes it essential that we add to our faith knowledge. I'm talking about knowledge that can be found nowhere else but from the Word of God. We better have this knowledge. Parents, no, I, no, I'm, I'm going I'm to quit, but I don't quit before I do because I want to talk to you parents. Just a second, very briefly, very briefly. If you do not fight for the minds of your children, if you're not willing to go to battle, are you still with me? If you're not willing to go to battle for the minds of your children, you can be sure that Satan is. You let them take in every little thing that's coming in from the world, whatever direction it's coming from. You better be careful what you are allowing to go into their minds through their ear gate and their eye gate. And Christian... If you do not recognize the strongholds in your life and begin to pull them down in the manner in which God gives us, they will continue to keep you from yielding to God and becoming like Jesus. If you won't pull down the strongholds. If you won't fight the spiritual battle. The theme this year is new beginnings. We're talking about anybody that's been saved from, from one month to however many years. Everybody in between. Maybe somewhere along the way we've slipped up. Maybe somewhere along the way we have started believing things contrary to what this Bible says. And it's become apparent because of the way we live. And what we do and what we don't do and all these different things. Maybe it's time to recommit. Maybe it's time to renew that yielding to God. Because I'm here to tell you tonight, you must accept the responsibility to train your brain to yield to Jesus. To believe, to trust, and to obey His Word. To believe to trust, and to obey His Word. And you can't do what you don't know. So get in your Bible. Read it. Believe it. 
and apply it. I'm telling you, we can see much more victory in our lives than we're seeing if we realize that we need the knowledge of God to direct everything we do and every decision we make. It's vitally important if we're going to be Christ-like. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your precious spirit that can work in our hearts and lives if we're asking him to and we're yielding to you. And I'm thankful that you continue to try to help us and you will continue to try to help us until we leave this life. You give us that promise in Philippians 1.6 that you've begun a good work in us and that you're going to continue it till the day of Jesus Christ. And I don't know how you may have spoken to hearts tonight. I don't know who's battling with what, when, where, or how. But you know every person. Every, every bit of uh, spiritual warfare that's going on. You know those that are sitting in this place or watching by live stream that have strongholds even now in their lives. And they have strongholds because they will not believe what you have to say and act upon it. And so we pray for them tonight, Lord, that they would see a need to recommit, to yield, to allow you to have your way in their lives, in their mind, that you might have your way in their lives. Bless this time of invitation. We pray, dear God, that people would respond according to your will. And we thank you for your goodness and ask all of these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand to our feet for just a minute. Some have come to the altar. You need to come. Piano's going to play. We're not going to sing. You need time down here to talk to the Lord, to recommit some things. Why don't you come? Take a minute. Maybe two. Just to tell God, God, I, I need what I heard tonight. And I need to make some new commitments. And I need to recommit some things to you. I need to be more yielded. I need to be more obedient. I, I need to be in the Word of God more and allow it to guide me through things. Whatever it might be. Allow... God to have his way in your heart tonight would you your life parents you may need to make some uh, new commitments to guard your children from that which could uh, cause them to err from the word of God be willing to fight that fight just because uh quote unquote every other kid is doing it doesn't mean your child needs to be doing it or just because every other kid has one doesn't mean that your child needs to have one just saying maybe there's some things you need to do some commitments you need to make that you can help to guard the minds of your children whatever you need to do will not take long